0: Hello everyone, this is Jason from Two Dads with Hats. This week we welcome our special guest, Nate Brown. In today's episode, Nate describes how to address the phenomenon where the squeaky wheel gets the grease and how to identify your A, B, and C players. We learn how Nate's world changed when he replaced the phrase, no problem, with my pleasure. And he shares some tips on how to develop your communication skills in business and in life. Here we go with episode 16 of Two Dads with Hats. From the left coast to the Great Lakes, welcome to
1: Two Dads with Hats with your hosts, Jason.
0: And Brandon. Hey Brandon. Good morning. How you doing, man? Mm. Hey Jason. How you doing? Sorry, I'm just eating leftovers from last night sandwich and chips here. I'm glad you mentioned those are leftovers and not you didn't like actually procure that for your breakfast because I was I thought you might be starting a trend, a new trend. The twenty four
1: hour yeah. breakfast. Oh, we should do that. Hey
0: <laughs> what's going on, man? You're back home, right? You had I am travel. I'm really happy to be back home. I've been traveling for the last week. And uh, it was the most incredible week of travel of my life so far. So I'm, I'm really inspired by it. Nice. I, I just said earlier that travel uh, feeds my soul. <laughs> Pretty deep to start out the podcast today. Well, hey, speaking of other places, we have one of our
1: friends on with us, guesting today. Let's welcome to the show, Nate Brown. Woo. Good morning. Straight Nate. from the South, Tennessee. There you go. Had to. I had to. Pipe that in there. You now, what? You live in Tennessee, right? What? Uh, what's your major metropolitan area? Nashville. Nashville. See, that's like home of music and good food. Jason, why are we not there with Nate having breakfast, doing a breakfast show? Right. What you, <laughs> we need a we need a producer who's going to plan all this. If you or if you know somebody that wants to be our producer, um, we pay the best volunteer wages <laughs> out there for any. For any show, really. I mean, you can't really top it. And I, I think we could probably get like our non-sponsor to give you some non-potato chips. Yeah, I, I think it's worth the exposure that you
2: guys have at this point to volunteer for this.
0: <laughs> so Nate, welcome to the show. I'm, re- I'm really you. glad you're here because I remember in the last calendar year, I sat next to you at tables and rooms that we were in just randomly, right? And I, yeah. I, I don't... I have to say it was completely random I didn't say oh there's Nate let me sit next to him and I don't think you did the did that either no but we've had multiple connections over the last year um, I've actually I'm glad that we're friends on Facebook because we get to I get to learn from the many exciting things that you're interested in you're doing you've been speaking <laughs> at conferences and we both talk at the on the same topic and I love yeah. what you've done um, can you talk a little bit about what you've been up to lately yeah,
2: my pleasure. Um, I've, I've really tried to board the train of thought leadership around customer service and customer experience. It's been a fun ride kind like of started, I guess it was two or three years ago, started speaking in the HDI and ICMI communities and then started blogging and, and going from there and just kind of seeing what doors are opening. And it has been a blast. And, and you guys have been absolutely two of my favorite relationships out of the whole journey.
0: Thank you. That's awesome. And it's definitely the mutual feeling because I learned so much from you and I'm learning about the, the topic of synchronicity. What do you call that? Synchronicity, right? And what's interesting is that you and I talk on the same topic of culture and our presentations, the, what, we, what we delivered in the last year were very similar in topic and we didn't talk about it at all. I, didn't, I never saw yours. You never saw mine. And yours, one of yours was, they had an artist that showed up at the oh. conference and they did like a storyboard. Remember that? Man,
2: yeah, I, I've
0: got it. You have it. Let's see I've that. got it here on my wall. Look at that. that I thought movie. that was incredible. That's a great way to recap the points of the, of the presentation.
2: Yeah. The only problem is it was distracting because I was wanting to watch it happen <laughs> as she was doing it live in the room. But it, that, that lady from Kingman Inc was phenomenal.
0: Excellent. We'll have to include the plug. I would love to, to see that again and again in the communities that we, that's one of the ways that we learn is, is attending other people's presentations and we get to see what their thoughts are and, and as they unravel there.
2: Yeah, and the cool part about having that board now, everybody that comes in my office, the first thing they look at, they're like, what's this? And I get to go into some of the principles of the session again. The first thing that they read on there is that A's don't play with C's for long. They're always like, what do you mean by that? I get to tell them about that that quote from – I got the Petra hat on today. Petra Coaching is this executive coaching establishment in Nashville, and they taught me that quote. I've been using it ever since.
0: A's don't play with C's for long. And A's would be different personality types?
2: So A's in, in this case would be your
0: top players. Top
2: players. So, I mean, generally speaking, leaders tend to spend all their time and energy on their C's. Cause that's where the problems are. That's where the fire is. The squeaky wheel gets the grease. Right. But if you always are giving the attention to your C's and trying to solve problems and not develop your A's, then it's way out of balance. So you got to be investing in those A's, removing your C's so that ultimately you can have a healthy team dynamic.
1: So can you, can you work with say the B's work with the B's and A's?
2: Yeah. B's are the ones you're trying to get up to a players, right? Um, But the C's are the ones that are toxic. And and ultimately, if you're allowing C's to remain and there's not consequences for bad behavior, it's not your C's that leave. It's your A's that that become impatient and ultimately leave. And and we've seen it.
0: So, Nate, can you tell us a little more about yourself and your background?
2: Yeah. How about this? Um, I'd love for anybody to connect with me on LinkedIn. It's TFC Dog is my handle on LinkedIn. And on Twitter, it's at customers first, and you'll be able to see where I work there. It's a software company, okay. and I'm the director for customer experience for a team. I manage a small contact center of about 25 people, but then trying to get the customer experience coordinated across our division of about 400 people. And it's been a wonderful, exciting challenge. I've been in that, that role for about a year and a half, and uh, the past year and a half has been the absolute funnest of my career.
1: Let's kick off with Nate. How did you get into, um, uh, how how did you become a customer service expert? I guess would be my question.
2: Yeah, well, the reason I got into customer service is I got fired from a sales and marketing job. (laughs) 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 So it's definitely an accidental thing, but in getting removed from that other position and then ending up in, in a frontline customer service role for a piece of software, I loved it. And I found that I was good at it. And uh, it was probably a couple of years later, I was experiencing success in that, still finding that it was holding my interest very much, and, and realized that I had found my career for life, and that I was going to develop, a, I've got one mentor in my life named Marshall Martin, he's a, a pretty renowned triathlete, and he talks about having laser focus. You know, I was kind of at that point, just a generalist, just waiting for my quote unquote calling in, in life to figure out what my niche was going to be. And I realized about five or six years ago that customer service was going to be it.
0: And I've always said that customer experience is the differentiator. We've said that before in the show, talking about restaurant experience. It's easier to copy the what. Think about musical instruments. You know, I I bought a guitar several years ago, and I could have bought that guitar from anywhere, including online. You know, that's the Amazon effect. But the experience is what Guitar Center uh,
2: no, I was about to say, I always buy a guitar center. I mean, you go in there, uh, they're, they're a little acoustic room that they have like quarantined from the rest of the building. You just sit in there and strum on the instruments. You got good knowledgeable knowledgeable people that are in there that have the conversation with you, but aren't like condescending about it. That's, that's the only place I go to play an instrument that isn't mine.
0: Do you, do you remember there were some other retailers? I think Best Buy was one of them. They did a music. They tried to get into the music and they bought all the same stuff that guitar Center had. Yeah. You couldn't really jam in Best Buy at that moment. Mm. You know, People would be like, what the heck are you doing? <laughs> so they shut that down in the stores by me, and you know, I think it was a good experiment. They were onto something, but the difference was the experience. What could they have done to focus on making the experience what the customers need? So you do that. You, you work on focusing on the other way around. You're looking from the customer's eyes.
2: Yeah, and I've always been kind of curious to hear people talk about the bridge between customer service and customer experience. I mean, in my mind, customer experience is just kind of the sexy big sister of customer service because they're so related. I mean, they, and they intertwine in every way, uh, but they are definitely different. And you know, I feel like for the first time, as we talk more and more about customer experience, and it becomes like a strategic part of every business. Customer service leaders are getting a seat at the table. Because we are a strategic part of the business now. It's not just that reactive contact center. Now we are the voice of the brand. And we have more of an impact on that customer experience than just about any other department within an organization. So it's been really exciting to see, in my mind, the rise of customer service on the coattails of the rise of customer
0: experience. Mm-hmm. And I think that that used to be owned by marketing in the past. Marketing still doing their genius stuff with the internet. I mean... Look at oh, the yeah. Super Bowl ads. Look at, look at our Super Bowl ads. They were pretty crazy.
2: Well, I mean, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Zendesk.
0: Yeah. But
2: they have an incredible brand voice. And one of my mentors, Sarah Steely-Reed, she is over that whole Relate campaign. And if you guys haven't seen the Relate campaign, that's the first thing you do off this podcast is go check that out because it's amazing what they are doing to build authenticity into customer service relationships. And I a mean, groundbreaking work that they're doing at Zendesk, uh, but she came and she talked about the importance of brand consistency and how so many organizations miss the mark when it comes to speaking on the, on the customer service desk, speaking in the organization's brand voice. So, I mean, that's marketing and customer service and a very intimate partnership right there. Mm-hmm. And few organizations get that. And, and we're, we're one that is beginning that journey now and already seeing the impact of that. And it's powerful.
0: And it makes a difference to, to the bottom line.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's that loyalty factor. If you got that consistency coming out of a brand, then you know it, you feel like, you know, that brand and you will be more loyal to it.
1: Is the, is the ad campaign the one where the guy and the girl meet through the customer support chat? <laughs> <laughs> is that the what? one?
0: Is that through relate? No, that's yeah. the dating website, Brandon.
1: No, you guys, there's a there's a um, there's a ad where the a girl logs on to get help through chat, and she ends up. Um, the guy is so good at customer service that they actually exchange numbers. Do you, do you guys wow.
2: remember that one from a few years ago? I do vaguely. I don't think that one was Zendesk, but I, I can say that that is a real thing. And we had uh, one of our analysts over here had a. Um, a humorous marriage proposal that was extended to him. So it can't happen.
0: So do you guys have Chick-fil-A restaurants down by you? Okay.
2: On on every corner. Every corner. It's like the CBS of the
0: cell. They're new to us here in Milwaukee. We have like three or four of them now, but it started when we had the first Chick-fil-A that showed up. It was like, you know, it was like Easter Sunday. It was, it was so full. (laughs) and I love uh, when i think about customer experience that's one of the store. that's one of the brands stories that comes to mind and it's that simple phrase of my pleasure mm-hmm. They say that's their response for it's every amazing. single time you say thank you they say my pleasure like a robot it's kind of yeah. funny to me but oh. i think that they they do a really good job of making you feel like they truly act they mean it you know they it is their pleasure the, to, to serve their customers and you're in their, you're in their restaurant. They want to make sure that your experience is top notch.
2: Oh yeah. Oh, and, and so I think that my pleasure word has so much power. Three years ago, I was in a bad habit of saying no problem. That is not a good phrase to use in customer service. And I, I can't even remember who helped me to understand that that wasn't a good phrase, but the last three years I've replaced no problem with my pleasure. And it's amazing how much different that is. Mm-hmm. But so interesting story on Chick-fil-A funny that you mentioned that. So we're driving up on a road trip. We're actually going down on a cruise uh, a few weeks ago. So we're we're driving from Tennessee down through South Georgia and South Georgia is full of Chick-fil-A's and we're in one and uh, we had a receipt where you get a, a free chicken sandwich. One of the things that you can do is pay a little bit extra and get the deluxe chicken sandwich. So I'm, I'm telling the cashier that I want to do that. I want to pay a little bit extra and get that um, deluxe chicken sandwich because you know you got to get that cheese on it and the lettuce. Um, so And she, she wouldn't do it. I was like, okay, so I ended up getting the regular sandwich. Well, then this lady comes up to me who was like a third-party marketing person that was in the Chick-fil-A. And she asked, and she was like, what was your experience like today? I told her, I was like, I love Chick-fil-A, I love how polite they are. They create a good, consistent experience across all the Chick-fil-A's. But today, this thing happened. And I could not believe how disinterested she was (laughs) in the experience that I had shared with her. And she just like took a note down and I mean she literally walked away and went and stood in a corner and waited to go talk to somebody else. Like I had just given her an opportunity to change the experience that I just had. And, And they did not reciprocate on it which was really weird, but she did not work at Chick-fil-A. And it, it just, it, it showed the stark contrast between having like a third-party marketing person that does not get your brand and try to insert them inside of your restaurant. A- and just the lack of consistency that that provides. It, it was a learning moment for me.
1: So so Chick-fil-A hired a third party to survey people after they had the Chick-fil-A experience, yeah. right? Can I say that? The Chick-fil-A experience? Is that okay? Yeah, I think that's a real thing. Can I patent that? <laughs> <laughs> Copyright it. So, and this person was really interested just in a kind of a, a yes, no, scale to one to ten. She didn't want to hear right. anything. It was, wow.
2: That's... I had deviated from her form and she basically shut down because she didn't know what to do. So, it, it's the classic thing. Don't solicit feedback from your customers unless you're in a position where you can do something about it. Because it is yes. detrimental to you.
1: I heard you I've heard you say that and and watched you watched your your writing of that you know we're, we're often you and I are on the customer service chat that happens worldwide once a week I've seen you post that yeah um, I neglected to mention earlier not only Nate not only Jason is Nate uh, one of the top 50 thought leaders for ICMI the contact center Association but the top uh, 25 thought leaders for HDI for this year 2017 and I was out here. Um, going through your website, customer-centric support, and some of the excellent articles that um, you have authored, which really, that brings that home. Ask for feedback if you're going to do something on it. If not, just you know work with the uh, finance department to slowly start shutting down your company because you don't <laughs> care about customers.
2: That's a good way to say it.
0: It's a great way to say it. So
2: I think um, one of the main things I wanted to talk about was kind of the importance of like communication skill in business and in life. And I just had like a couple quick tips to share around that. So I I think when we look at communication skill, it's one where we don't spend enough intentional effort developing it. I mean, you guys are are natural, excellent communicators. Um, So it's probably easy to take that for granted, but for most of us, myself included, we, we've got to work hard in this area to be effective communicators. I, I've seen so many people that were wonderfully, wonderfully creative and extremely talented, but were very handcuffed in their ability to impact change because they couldn't communicate their ideas well. And it's like how sad that a soft skill like communication would limit the creative potential and career potential of an individual. Mm-hmm. So I, mean, I, I kind of take that as a personal challenge and I've been doing a lot of training internally in, in my organization and beyond around communication skill and presentation skill. I've got some wonderful curriculum over here uh, that we've developed together and been using that. But there's a few things that kind of stick out um, that I wanted to to offer to you guys and to, and to kind of see what you thought about.
1: Mm-hmm. Definitely. I, I, before we go into that, Nate, I want to ask you a couple questions around that, if that's okay. Yeah. So, um you know, if I do okay, and if I'm if I'm an okay communicator, it's only because I've spent time and trying to refine that. Nice. Maybe maybe not on purpose, but more on survival. Hmm. <laughs> right. Right. As, as, as I've grown, so I'm of, I'm of the belief that the the industry standard for uh, really any any position in which there's a changing environments. So um, if you're a post hole digger, this probably doesn't apply to you. But any any situation, such as our industry, especially customer support, um, anywhere we have customer interaction, that probably ten percent of your time should be spent in training and in refining the training for, you, for your skill set. So, for instance, everyone who's in a customer-facing role, and, and this means literally on a forty-hour work week, four hours should be spent in which you're you have hands-on training. Yeah. your your leadership is training you, your supervisors and leads. Because we just kind of have this like, okay, great. We got people. We trained them initially. Go out there and do it. And in most, we'll have a a weekly staff meeting or a memo that goes out and says, hey, use this phrase. You know, this right here is going to win us customers. Just say the magic words. And I want to get your thoughts on should we have more repetitive training um, simulations, hands-on coaching with our customer-facing teams?
2: I mean, absolutely. But I guess, yes. But it's got to be value added training. I mean, one thing that we did this year, so our, our organization is amazing in terms of the, the training expectation. They, they not only encourage training, they expect that each of us have 40 hours of professional development training every year. That's one of our goals. But historically what we did, we made the mistake of just saying 40 hours of training. And if you somehow sat through 40 hours of training that year, you accomplished your goal. This year, we really thought through and made it more strategic of, hey, what are the areas where you're trying to grow? And let's, let's make that training very value add. When, when training is good and it's well done and it's intentional, it's powerful. When training is what we consider legacy training from the 1990s, then it's incredibly disengaging. So as managers, we shouldn't just think about more and more and more training. We should think about better training and then more training.
1: I agree. And and can you help us kind of define a little bit more of the better training? Because what's going in my mind is lecture style training where you just you watch a video or you're in a classroom. I'm thinking of what would be an example, maybe you could help us with what's applicable training, up-to-date training.
2: Yeah, I mean what we're doing right now. I mean, we are learning from each other right now. And I, I think that's more where the industry is going. The whole training industry is moving more in that direction. When I facilitate a class. I make it very clear in the beginning that I'm going to facilitate this and you guys are going to teach each other. And and how much you take out of this class is going to be dependent on how much you and your peers put into it today. And And I really think that that's more what we need to do is learning from each other, striking that authenticity up front of being vulnerable, sharing the successes and the failures and learning off of those instead of trying to learn off some PowerPoint.
1: I love it. I love it. So can you kind of go right into now, thank you for answering that question yep. over some of the tips and tricks for customer service training or in anything else in that genre?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a huge advocate of disc. That is one resource. I mean, if, if you think about resources, the ones that are good are the ones that generate robust dialogue. And, and there's a few that are out there that do a wonderful job of this. And disc is one where the, the reason it's so good and, and a good DISC facilitator will help you to understand. Uh, have you guys done DISC before?
1: Okay, yeah, I'm so a D.
2: Perfect. And so, a lot of people will, will carry that with pride. Like, I'm a D, I'm an I, I'm an S, whatever you are. But the whole thing about DISC when it's done well is that you identify what your your common default is as far as your communication styles. But DISC helps you to become more flexible is a communicator so that you can expand and adapt in your communication skill set and fill in whatever need a team might have. So, I mean, if if you've got a strong D that's already on a team and and defaults to that position, but there's not somebody that's that I personality that puts out a really compelling vision and knows how to wordsmith it, then by you being flexible enough to move into that realm, uh, you've got a lot of power there as a communicator. And so, for me, DISC has been wonderful because I was just an off-the-charts eye and have really seen the value of being able to communicate more as a C, more somebody with that analytical credibility and somebody that doesn't drop a vision in everybody's lap and walk out the door and expect everybody else to execute it.
1: Oh, yeah, the pigeon. The pigeon. Yeah,
2: that's perfect. Yeah, the seagull manager. I'm going to flop my wings in here. I'm going to poop over everybody, and then I'm going to fly out. And, you know, I had a little bit of that communication style, but now through DISC, I've been able to identify that and really see it's a lot more effective. If I can start with the eye conversation, here's why this is so important. I'm going to get you feeling the vision and understanding uh, how great this is going to be if we get there. And now I'm going to switch to my C hat. I'm going to lay out the specific steps and how you can get involved on, on an executable level, a tactical level, so that we can make this happen together. And that is a much better message.
0: Yep. You're starting with speaking the audience's language. If you're working with your manager, if you're working with a peer, you're starting by connecting by using their language first, and then you could interject um, some of your value.
2: Yeah. I've, I've just got one more big tip that I think will generate some good conversation. So I had a unique opportunity the other day, and it was my friend Beth McCart invited me into her group that she co- co-leads it's called Women Get IT, Women Get It. And it's a Nashville-based group. And I came in there as the event photographer. Um, so I was just observe and report and, and take a bunch of pictures. Uh, I was blown away by what I learned from these ladies in that group as far as communication. And I, I just think it's time for us as men to be realistic. Women are much better communicators than we And we kind of say that and we kind of laugh about that, but like there are things that we can actually do and learn to be better communicators. And some of those things we can learn from our female counterparts. I'm going to give you an example, eye contact. When, When a lady has a conversation with another lady, there's like within a one minute span of time, there's something like 45 seconds of eye contact. When two dudes talk to each other, it's like six to eight seconds of eye contact.
1: Nate, I was just reading about this: two women talking together, uh, a study which often they'll face each other. Two guys yeah. will stand facing out. You know, they're right, um, and, and it was about how uh, how connections are made, friendships, and how guys, um, as as opposed to you know, the three of us we're talking, we can see each other. On you know, yeah, and, but if we were in person, that we would be um, perhaps like looking out at something. Maybe it's an event we're going to. So we, I just told this man, you you've been you've been listening you've been reading my phone again <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I saw
2: it firsthand like it was it was almost unnerving at first because you know, I, at the after I was done taking pictures I, I had the opportunity to socialize a little bit with with the the people attending this event, and like I was overwhelmed by the eye contact uh, being the only dude in this room of, of seventy women, and it was just it was very overwhelming at first, but then once I kind of got accustomed to that, it was so much more powerful. It's just better. But like coming out of that and then coming back to work and like trying to have a conversation with, with one of my male counterparts, if I'm having that type of more intimate conversation, it feels feminine. And it shouldn't because it's better. It's superior to make that connection through eye contact. And I mean, that's just, that's just a dichotomy that we need to break as men to where we have a better more face-to-face conversation with each other.
1: So now I'm a little bit lost because this girl I was talking to, a lot of eye contact me, I was going to ask her out, but now I know that she's just just <laughs>
0: connecting with me. <laughs>
2: it's just a normal thing. <laughs> but Nate, you know,
0: I'm always interested in the why. So I know the answer, but I want to hear your answer of why. Why is that important to have more of the effective nonverbal communication like eye contact? when we're building that connection, what do you think some of the benefits are?
2: Yeah, so for me it's consistency and it's it's the impact of the message. So there's three V's, right? You've got the the verbal, you've got the visual, and oh, what, what is the third V? I mean, essentially you have the words that you've selected, the actual content of your message. Then you have the way that you're saying it. Then you have the, the word picture, the visual aspect that you're creating with that. If there's, if any of those three things are out of alignment, you have ruined the credibility of your message. So when when you're trying to extend uh, an important tidbit, if you're trying to educate or, or just even uh, get to know somebody and extend to them the message that you care about them and the story that they're telling you, if you're trying to build a relationship, but you're showing disinterest through a lack of eye contact or through the fact that you're on your phone or. I mean, when I'm in a one-on-one situation now, I've got to turn my monitors off. Otherwise, I'm always tempted to be looking at the emails that are popping in on my computer. And, and that ruins the, the genuine message that I'm trying to create if I care about you and I care about what you're trying to say. So the why is if you want to be credible, if you want to develop those good, healthy, authentic relationships and be able to get your message across and receive the message well, you've got to line up the three B's and eye contact falls into that bucket.
0: That's fantastic. I really appreciate you sharing that with us. Those stories are, are more powerful than we know right now. I know that when I listen to this again, I'm I'm going to take notes, man, so I appreciate we're recording it.
2: No, my pleasure. I appreciate you guys. And, my mean, it's, pleasure. It's a fun journey. Yeah, that's
1: there it is. No problem. It just sounds so much better to say my pleasure. It does. <laughs> we get a lot of no worries out here, and, uh, and yeah. it goes with the territory, you know. Um, yeah, I wanted to say, too, before we end, that awesome hat. And, Nate, you have the best beard. I think you, you have the best beard on our show to date.
2: Oh, man. Do, do I anyone, need something I, for that?
1: <laughs> if anyone tries to top it, I want you to come back on again. Okay. <laughs> okay. Regain the title. Thank you for that accolade. Jason, do we have time for one more thing?
0: Yeah, just one more thing. Do you have something for us today, Brandon? It's all you. All me. Goodness, there's so many things after this week of travel. I just I want to call out my hat here today. I, I showed you this before, but this is, uh, I, you know, we have the Colorado Connection and the Purple Mountain's Majesty. So one of my favorite memories of Colorado is when we go to the baseball games out there, the Rocky Stadium, Coors Field, and when they do the America the Beautiful and they say Purple Mountain Majesty, everyone in the stadium says, woo. And I thought that was the coolest thing ever. And I, I think the three of us, you know, we meet in Colorado often. Um, we share that connection. So it's not just the Purple Mountain majesty as a fun little thing in a baseball game, but I think there's something really deep about the connection of the the power of that. Majesty is a good word to describe the view. You guys, what are your what are your views of those Purple Mountains out there? Beautiful. Majesty is the perfect word. Majesty is the perfect world. That's just got
2: at work right there. Yeah, true.
0: Mountains,
1: mountains and, um, and water are two things that as humans psychologically we seem drawn to. They always have positive adjectives around them. So people say, oh, you don't want to go to the mountains. I want to go to the ocean. I want to go to the lake. I want to go to the river. So those are things that definitely strike chords in us and they are truly majestic.
0: But not for everyone. I'm, I'm big on this thing right now. I'm learning more about the the four elements and the types of people that are drawn more to each of the elements. I know with great certainty. I'm a water person now. And it actually, it coincides with my zodiac sign. So that might be kind of interesting. I don't know that I fully believe in all that yet. I haven't discovered all of that yet. But mountains could be the earth, and there's fire, and then there's wind. So I I'm interested in learning a little more. This is early in the process.
1: I'm personally drawn to air. In fact, I require it all the time.
0: <laughs> but are you, a, would you say you're a wind person or are you a water person, Brandon? Well, I'm an Aquarius, so I'm a water bearer and uh,
1: difficult to deal with, apparently. And you like long walks on the beach? I'll eh, say medium walks. I get tired. Like I get to the end of the pier and I'm like, oh, I have to Uber back now. Sorry, you
2: got to get Phil Gurbyshek to give you some energy there. That dude, he goes out and walks on the beach for like 40 miles every day, it looks like. That's <laughs> yeah. awesome.
1: Well, hey, I think we're running out of time here so that we don't go. I'm going to say thanks for coming on the show, Nate. I'm, I'm a fan. You've created a
2: fan. And uh, man, I'm excited for this show to continue to evolve. And I just appreciate you guys letting me come and hang out with y'all today.
0: That's our show for today. Thanks for listening be sure to subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud. See you next time.